going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of the Revelation. Revelation. We are in chapter 3 now. Wow, we have got all the way to chapter 3. Yeah. Now, uh, we aren't going to go through every chapter in Revelation. That might disappoint some of you because you were hoping for bulls and horses and seals and trumpets. And... But we'll get, we'll get, uh, we will listen into some good stuff, though, nonetheless. Are you ready? We are leaning into the book of Revelation, if you recall, because of its, open, the, the, its opening pages give us wonderful invitation to believe something powerful. The first invitation is that we will be blessed if we read and hear and heed these words. Amen. How many want to be blessed? We're going to be blessed. Then we hear over and over again that if we have ears to hear, we are to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, we believe that the Spirit is speaking to us because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is to and about Jesus. But in its opening pages, we understand that, that there are specific messages given to seven specific literal historical churches. But each of them read the messages to the other churches. So although each church has a message, everybody got to read and everybody was supposed to listen. Everybody said amen. And the same with us. We get to listen in as well and benefit from what was said. And the fact that the Lord talks about these seven churches and calls, the seven, calls them the seven stars in his hand tells us, using this idea of seven, that these messages are expressions of his message to all the churches. So what he has said to them, he says to every church everywhere. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the specifics of what was occurring in each of those churches is occurring in every church. How many are glad for that? No, I don't. We don't like a couple of weeks ago. We don't got, you know, I, there's nobody named, you know, nicknamed Jezebel leading you all into a merry band of idolatry and immorality. Hopefully. But we can listen to the principle. We don't in, import necess, We don't have to stick ourselves in their place and pretend that it's actually literally being listened, written to us. What we do is we listen for the principle and we learn. We listen for the principle and we learn. Now, if the shoe happens to fit, then change it. This morning we are in. Uh, we're at the. We're reading this. What the Lord said to the church at Sardis. I used to probably call that Sardis, and I think you can, except for that I tried to look it up, and then I recognized that my son would say Tardis. Since <laughs> so it's just a different consonant, but I must be Sardis. So here we are, chapter 3 of Revelation, and uh, th this letter now to the church at Sardis. And uh, this is uh, uh, one more of those, well, they're all unique, but this one has its own nuances, so we need to listen well. Only six verses, 
So we should be able to get through this in reasonable time and benefit from it. If you're ready, say, I am. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. This is why we're careful about what shoes we're trying on. You are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. and You will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, with a letter like this, we must eavesdrop with care. We want to learn from the principle without borrowing their problem. This was what is said here about Sardis is true of them. It was intended for them. But you and I, we can listen and we can reflect on their problem. And then we should ask, what what can we learn? And how might we be warned even and, and hopefully encouraged? How many want to be encouraged? How many came to church hoping to get discouraged? You came to the wrong church. <laughs> I was hoping for discouragement. <laughs> it, opens, it opens the same as all of the letters to the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis was uh, a city historically of great wealth and fame and power and, and military strength because of its location. Sardis was located on a, well, it was a citadel. It was, lo- it was built on a hill surrounded by walls and a cliff. It was, you know, come at me, bro, was kind of their slogan. Because, you, you know, they, were, they, they perceived themselves to be exceedingly defensible. The, the city itself, historically, is also noted for its immorality. And by now, you might be saying to yourself, wow, tell me something new. Because all of these cities seem to have their issues. But this one in particular, to give it its due, it seemed it had festivals to its pagan deities. And these particular festivals were as base and immoral as any of any of them in antiquity. In other words, this place took a silver medal to nobody in perversion. The church, however, in Sardis seems to neither suffer from persecution or from internal division or immoral influence necessarily. In other words, they don't seem to be suffering from the same kinds of things. They're, nobody seems to be too ups in Sardis. No one seems to be upset with the church there. <laughs> it's already started. Are you paying attention? Yeah. <laughs> 
they're already helping. We've kind of called you nine o'clock people as the helpers. <laughs> it's not, not an invitation. Oh, good. Now we really get it. easy. Brownie cover counts how many times I have to do this at nine, nine, nine o'clock. Easy. I'll take it from here. Uh, but Gordon's not wrong. They're see, they, when, especially when you look at the other churches in this, in this culture at this time, the other letters, the other churches were living in such a way that, they were, that, they, that the living out of their Christianity invited or invoked resistance and resentment and persecution. Sardis doesn't seem to have a problem with that. By all appearances, she's quite a little comfortable church, and she's harmless. Harmless. Just a harmless little piece of decor in the town. Perfectly happy to come and to go. Comfortable, harmless, acquiescent, and dying. And as with the other letters, the the writer, Jesus, identifies himself afresh. And he says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, you probably have picked it up by now, but each time Jesus reintroduces himself, and this is both Jesus speaking and understand that, that, this is, that these, all the Bible is written incarnationally. That means we have the Lord speaking to and through a human agent. So the human agent is still writing, and there's, that's why it sounds, that's why Revelation sounds like John. Jesus talking sounds like John. That's why the Old Testament references, lots of metaphor, lots of meaning. And then there's this literary work that, that every time the, the speaker introduces himself, we are tied back to chapter 1. Chapter 1 is this magnificent revelation of, of, of this is the revelation he sees of Jesus Christ. And then with, with each of these, the, 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 there's a reintroduction that brings the reader to remember who's talking. Moreover, each of the introductions not only connect you to the, to the speaker, to Jesus, but they, if you listen carefully, it, sometimes we miss it because we don't know all the history involved and what was going on, but each of these introductions actually has something to do with the life of the church. Sometimes by way of encouragement, sometimes by way of confrontation, that what he has to say to them is directly, he directly relates to who he is. And it's no less this time. And as a matter of fact, it's important this time that we hear it carefully so that we try to do the math as to what's going on in Sardis. Here are two things. The speaker says, he is the one who holds the stars. Remember, we said that that means he he grasps them. He clings tightly. He holds them strongly in his hand. He controls the rights to each church. We are his church. Everybody say, his church. We are, it is a privilege to be his church. Jesus is not begging anybody to be his church. Then it says, he has the seven spirits. Now, just in, in, in however, you want, however that is unfolded in your Bible, it, it, a better way probably for us to understand what that means is the sevenfold spirit. Meaning one spirit, but there is this sevenfold expression. Seven in, 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 in the scripture, and particularly in Revelation, again, it means fullness. Everybody say fullness. So we're talking about the fact that he who has, uh, who, he, he, he who has the, the fullness, the, the full manifest expression of the Spirit. 
And he calls him the sevenfold spirit. Now, because this is John, we understand that John is constantly reaching back to the, his old, the Old Testament as his frame of reference. How many of these do you see here? Seven. Very good job. Okay. Now, uh, so, and, and, and who, who is Christ? Walk, Christ is walking among the lampstands. So with the lampstands, what do you see? There are seven, seven, this is the seven, one lampstand, sevenfold. So the sevenfold spirit of God is not some new introduction. Like now there's, now instead of three, then you add seven, and now there's ten. The Trinity is somehow nine. No. No, 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 no. Everybody say no. This is simply an expression of the, the fullness of the spirit. Someone say that I would plead, the, the fullness of the spirit. And if you want to, it's, it's on the screen there. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 is, a, is a, one of those sacred historical texts that help, that the readers help they cite that, Jewish tradition cites that to understand the, 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 the full expression of the Holy Spirit. That verse, 11.2, talks about the spirit that would be upon the, the one who would come out of Jesse, which is Christ. So Christ has the sevenfold spirit. Now, and if you read Isaiah 11.2, listen, here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord. Okay? The spirit of the Lord, right here in the middle. The spirit, this, this centerpiece, the spirit of the Lord. Then it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So you have that seven, one spirit. One lampstand with one spirit, seven expressions. They say, why is that important? Why would you stop and give a menorah lesson? Well, it wasn't a menorah lesson. It's important that we understand that in the introduction, the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. It's going to help us try to understand what's happening in Sardis. Because the problem or the situation in Sardis is their relationship with, their reliance upon that spirit or their, the lack of their reliance or relationship with him. He says, I know your deeds. Now, normally we pause there because it sounds like he's about to encourage us. He's not this time. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. They have a name. They have a, a reputation for being alive, but they are not. They may have had an image. They may have had a reputation. They may have, they may, this may have been something that they intentionally maintained. Or, and this is where we lean into kind of the, the historical interpretation, they may at one time have been a robust and alive church in the past. But they were living by their trophy case instead of seeking to live with new testimony. They were satisfied with trophies and not testimony. Now, the reason why that's a strong possibility is because, again, each of these messages is woven into the, the actual culture and history of each church. And Sardis used to be magnificent, but over the centuries had declined and declined and declined, and yet it was still kind of like parading itself as a big deal. But after a while, people said, you know, it's really not 
what it claims to be. It's not all it used to be. And this, and, and it's like that. There's a uh, that that same application is being brought to bear upon the church. You are not what you claim to be, or what you used to be. Now I'm hearing you. I'm hearing people say "ouch." Only say "ouch" if it, the shoe is fitting. But otherwise, just go. Hmm. Keep yourself safe. Hmm, we're we're just observing. You're safe. We're observing from afar. They may have been robust and alive in the past, but they had let those hot coals cool. And now Jesus says, you are, are dead. Oh, boy. I know, I know in, a, in, a, in, a, in a church like this, and especially some of my nine o'clockers, if, I, if someone hears the church is dead, it stirs up all kinds of assertions and theories regarding what that means. And you are not alone. See, everybody on the interwebs has an opinion and a bunch of people that write books that think, well, a dead church, that means people usually take what they understand, they understand as dead, and then lay that understanding on the text itself. So, uh, so they say, oh, Sardis was dead, but that meant that they, had a, they were lackluster in their worship. They probably only, they probably only sang old songs. <laughs> now, you laugh. But people say that stuff. Well, they probably just, you know, they probably just sang out of the book. They're probably dead. Church is dead. Or they say that they, they, they stopped doing outreach. They didn't do enough outreach programs. They're dead. Didn't do enough evangelism. Dead. They, they, they don't have a good discipleship program. Dead. They're dead. Carpet's got stains. Dead. You know that carpet in that church is red. Yeah, red. That red church, that red carpet was out. That, tr- that red carpet was out like in the 80s. That church is so dead. They have, um, they have brass. <laughs> it's just dead. Hmm. <laughs> They have lapels. Dead. Analog soundboard. Dead. They sang a Petra song last week. Dead. <laughs> that their pastor knows who Petra is. Dead. You see the danger of just making up your own definitions of dead? And why is that there? Because the Bible didn't tell us what dead meant. It just said dead. So we think, well, it must be the songs. Must be evangelism. Must be, uh, you know, oh, here's one for my classical Pentecostal. They probably didn't have a message in tongues in that church. Dead. Well, I've heard that one. Dead. Here, what do you think that, <laughs> sorry, I almost just said, what do you think Dr. Dev's opinion is? Because it just sounds like, that just sounds pretentious and hilarious. Um, would you like to know what I think? I think it could have been on any of those things or all of them. But if so, they are all symptoms of creeping death and not the cause. Death can have all kinds of symptoms. 
Even red carpet. Now, where's younger? If, young, if it was green shag carpet, that would be great. Rolling in her Monte Carlos. Hallelujah. All of those things could be symptoms, but they are not the cause. Death, can ha- death has a cause, but it can have many different kinds of symptoms. We are not told the symptoms, and I'm sort of glad because probably over the years what we have, would have done, of course, is make a list of those symptoms, avoided them, and then wore the badge not dead. Because we're really good with the lists. But I believe we can know what is meant by remembering how Christ identified himself and by seeing what John has written previously about life and death and the difference. When you're interpreting Scripture, remember there's a triple, there's a, there's a triple A way of interpreting Scripture, okay? Author, audience, agenda. Say it out loud for fun, please. Author, audience, agenda. We want to keep those things in mind when we're seeking to understand what is being meant or what is being implied or uh, taught. So the first thing we start with is author. Yes, the, the author is the person of the Spirit, and Jesus is speaking, but the human agent, John, is writing. So the first thing you want to do is if I, if I want to understand what John is saying, that I need to look where what else John has said. Now, here's the tip. Sometimes people will pull vault, and they'll go to a different author immediately. Not, it's not, we should use the Bible to interpret the Bible, but before you leap to a different author, stick with, try to stick with the same author because you'll probably discern the principle. Okay, And then once you've found the principle, then you can say, aha, then what do other authors say about this principle? Does that make sense? So the first thing we want to do is find out what they're talking about here. And, and I think it's not hard because in the Gospel of John, John writes in John chapter 6, verse 63, he says that this, it's almost kind of like on the nose. Are you ready? It is the Spirit who gives life. So if John says that someplace is dead, I'm going to think they have a spirit problem. The problem is there somehow, some way, this church's attitude toward the spirit has changed. There has been a shift in their attitude toward the Holy Spirit. John says that, as the Holy, that the Holy Spirit, John 6, 63, uh, that the Holy Spirit is both the source and the sustainer of life. Gives is a present verb. He gives life. He provides it and sustains it. The life of the believer, ergo, the life of every church, is entirely dependent upon our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And apart from the Holy Spirit's infilling and influence and empowerment, John says, our own flesh, our humanistic and even humanistic religious endeavors profit nothing. The Spirit gives life, the the flesh profits nothing. It it produces nothing. If if you have no produce, you have death. 
So I would just say this. If the church at Sardis is dead in view of what Jesus is saying in terms of how he identified himself as the one who holds these seven spirits, the sevenfold spirit of God, and in, in view of the lens of John's own pen, we should likely understand that the, the church at Sardis, having begun by the spirit, they were now somehow seeking to continue without him. And their death signs were symptoms of a shift in that, their attitude toward the spirit. The root of decay, of dying and of death, is always a shift in the church's attitude toward the spirit. For Sardis, it may have been, they may have been ignoring his presence. They may have been quenching his voice. They may have been grieving him by resisting and his holy influences in their lives. They, were, they had ceased, apparently, and I, I would say that they had ceased to intentionally revere and receive and rely upon him as the source and sustainer of life. Remember, this is the same John. Now, when I... Having, having landed here, and I'm looking at through this template, I remember, hmm, I also know that John writes the Gospel of John later than the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written earlier. John is written much, much later, toward the end of his life, not, not too far away from the actual writing of the book of Revelation. And what's, in, what's interesting is of the things that John includes that are unique to his gospel are John chapters 14, 15, and 16, where John spends quite a bit of time telling his audience what Jesus had to say about the importance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' teaching in the upper room about the Holy Spirit are found, is found only in the gospel of John. And, I would, and I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill. I firmly believe that John said, that John believed at the close of his life, as he looked at the state of the church, as he looked at the, how people were living, he believed that the disciples of Christ had to know just how important the Holy Spirit is intended to be in our lives. And so he writes, he says, listen, you've, they've got to know what he said. They've got to know that Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you another helper, Allah's parakletos, one just like me. And this is the one who will be in your midst exactly what I would be and do. In fact, another means one of the same kind. He will, you, you can have the same expectations of him in your midst as me. Therefore, you must respond. You must respond to him in your midst just like you have me. He must. He is just as powerful. He is just as central. John says also he's, he'll, be the, he'll be the one who teaches you. He'll guide you into all, all truth. He'll, 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 in fact, be, he will be the evangelist. He will reveal me to you, and he'll reveal, reveal me through you. And he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. And he said, Jesus said, all the Father has is mine. That's why I'm saying he'll declare everything. He is the source. He is the supply. He is the one voice of heaven. He, is the, he will bring every single thing you could ever need from heaven is from him. He is all we will ever need and more than we could ever hope for. We cannot overestimate the importance of this vital dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think because of the text and the, the best exegesis I can, it looks to me like that was the problem in Sardis. So Jesus says in verse 2, wake up. 
and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. It would be easy, it would be a good preach to say this church had more to do. Not wrong. I think there's more to it than that, but we can at least start there. This church had more to do. How many believe that this church has more to do? How many believe this church has more to do? Now, Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus sees a church, and he sees them as what they have done with who they are, but he also sees that church as, as, as a, golly, how do you say that? As a container. He sees in us the seed of what we are still yet supposed to be and do. Now, there's a, there's a, little, bit of, there's a, there's a little bit of jazz on that. Hang on a minute. See, I, I, right now, the Lord, I can see it. The Lord sees many of you in this room, and you have made certain decisions about your life and what you've done so far and what may or may not be ahead of you. But I'll say this. I believe the Lord looks at your life and says, not done yet. There is more. I have, you are, your deeds are not completed in the sight of my God. There is more of his calling, of his plan, of his purpose for you. Hey, oh, yeah, don't doubt it. Don't hide from it. Don't ever think less of it. I'm not trying to say you. Oh, golly, I'm not trying to say you're the next Billy Graham. Stop saying that stuff, by the way. But just, just you're the next you. You know, he doesn't even remake snowflakes. So he's not going to photocopy Billy. Stop saying those things. Stop putting them on social media. Okay. Here it is. Listen to this. Don't get upset, but you might. Billy Graham is not leaving a mantle to anybody. You know why? He's not the Messiah. Stop saying that stuff. Jesus is the one who left me a mantle. If I want anybody's mantle, I want the one who paid for it and said, I'm gonna, you're going to get what I got. There's already been a mantle released from heaven, and it's been released from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I love Billy. He didn't die for me. He, he doesn't have the authority to give me nothing. God bless him for what he had, but Jesus is the one that's the mantle giver. Thank God that's what I want. Hallelujah. All right, there goes 14 followers gone. Blah, 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 blah. We're down to three. Hang on, let me find the Bible so I get back to saying things. Oh, I, really? That's it? I have not found your deeds completed. Oh, Lord. Listen, I'll just tell you right now. Ray, stand up. Michael James, quick, go put hands on him. Up, Ray, up. Yeah, Mrs. Dav says, get your buns up. That's what she said it, Ray. Just stand right there. Yeah. Ray, you already know this. You're not, but just don't doubt anything. I'm not, that's why I said, I, I don't, 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 that's why I said about Billy Graham. Do not superimpose yourself on the image of another man. You are not another man or another man's calling, another man's identity. You are not a photocopy of anybody else. You are unique. You are a tapestry, a work of art made in the hands of God. And, and he looks at you and he says, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. There is more. There's a, there's a big ray there, but there's, that's because there's a lot of ray in there yet to do. Now, I believe the Lord's brought you here and we're, we're to partner with you and you're to be a partner with this house. But I'm not deciding what God's doing. I'm just affirming it. You hear me? 
Ray, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And there's a whole lot of you in this room I could say those kinds of things about. Some of you have said, I don't know. I've had one too, one too many wrecks. And you feel like God is the insurance company. Yeah, hit him good. Hit him good because I'm talking to him. God is the insurance company. You know, I had insurance on my cell phone for a while. I did. And then I drop it and then got insurance. And I did something. And then I rolled a kettlebell, kettlebell over the top of it. Yeah, 100 pound kettlebell rolled over the top, smashed my phone, called the insurance company. They said, you're out. No more insurance for you. Listen, he's not the insurance company. I know, one, one too many kettlebells. And I, look, nobody's, nobody said I should have left the kettlebell roll on top of my phone. That was, I know that was my fault. But his mercies are new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. If it's a new day, as in not metaphorically, I mean literally, if it's Sunday morning or Monday morning, that means there's new mercies. New mercies. You say, oh, Lord, I burned up yesterday's. No problem. New mercies today. This is not in the notes. We're still on wake up. Now I got to hurry. I heard that intern drummer, second verse. You, I, don't, you're going to need a new morning. This is the central command of the, to the church. Wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up. You're dying, but you don't have to. That's, yeah, okay. Me and Gordon are going to get happy now, okay? You're dying, but you don't have to. Someone say, you don't have to. Listen, don't read this as Jesus saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to count your dead meat, you know, Rambo. No. He does not delight in the dying. It's not his preference. You don't have to. You can choose to stir yourself and return. The church may have been in a spiritual coma, but they were not beyond the summons of Christ to wake up. Like Jairus' daughter, he walks in and then everybody's weeping. Oh, the church is dead. They're singing old songs. The carpet is red. It's dead. And Jesus said, she's not dead. Not yet. She's just asleep. Wake up. And they could, just like that baby girl, they could heed the voice crying out for them to shake off their slumber and wake up. The church in Sardis must strengthen what remains which were about to die. Hear this so clearly. Jesus does not want the church to die. He wants them to strengthen what remains. They could stir up the gift of God. They could kindle afresh the fire of the Spirit. That's what we read in 2 Timothy 1.6. They could. 
they could stir it up. What God had done in their midst, what God had done in their lives was real. Woot, and I got some more jazz. Listen, what God has done in your life, even if it was years ago, is real. His touch in your life is real. What he has deposited is more alive than you can measure. It's real. It's real. And if you, you may feel the symptoms of decay around you, but what God has done in you is real. And you can wake up. You can be strengthened today. You can strengthen what remains. And you can return to life. Because their deeds were not completed. Listen, in, in the words of Jesus, their deeds were unfinished. They were, their deeds were lacking. Now stay with me for just a moment, and I think we can throw some light on this. See, once we have identified the principle here, I think we can compare. Say, okay, what, what is the rest of New Testament authors? What, are they, what can they tell us? So Jesus says through John, so remember what you have received and heard. Say received and heard. See, that caught my attention. Remember what you have received and heard. He's talking to them about their original experience, their original encounter with the gospel. Ah, hmm, that's, that sounds familiar to me. I, there's another, there's a passage that's going to help us hear that. Remember what you have received and heard and keep it. Hold on to that. Obey it. Respond to it and repent. I mean, you need to stop doing, recognize what's wrong, resolve to turn away from it and return to what's doing what is right. Okay. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and obey it. This might, I think, this could be understood as we can understand this a little bit better. We look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. Once we see this principle, we can look at another biblical author. Ah, here's what Paul said. Listen, talk about hearing and receiving what we first heard. Ready? Here's Paul. This will, and, 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 and the, the subject matter is the same. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit? Who's Paul talking about? The Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says to the Galatian church, you started by the Spirit, but you're in error because you're trying to complete. The Holy Spirit will sustain what He starts, but He will only sustain what He starts. And what He starts, He will sustain, but you can't. You mustn't try. If you're trying to sustain something that he started, that's a work of the flesh. And that will lead to death. And your deeds will remain incomplete. But here, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or did you suffer so many things in vain if it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, Remember what you heard at first. And John says it again, and, and, and through the words of Jesus, remember what you heard, remember what you have received at first, and keep that. Repent of anything else, anything less. Having begun by the Spirit, we cannot hope to complete our race in a way that pleases Christ unless we do so trusting and yielding and relying upon the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus is warning the church at Sardis to intentionally revere the Spirit, receive the Spirit, rely upon the Spirit. Therefore, he says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I am coming to you. 
Now, it would be a, a little bit of a mistake for us to read that and go, oh, he, the, Jesus is talking about the parousia, the second coming. No, because this particular coming is conditioned upon their repentance. He's saying, if you don't repent, I'm coming. Once again, that means if we don't deal with things, Jesus will. And he says, I'm coming to you as a thief. Uh, again, you have, to look at, you have to look at Sardis's history. Twice in the history of this city, this great defensible city that's with its walls and its, and its cliff and its citadel, twice in its history the, that the city was sacked at night because the watchman assumed everything's fine. No problems here. And they were, the city was completely sacked twice like a thief when they weren't expecting it. John is writing to the church and saying, remember what happened before, it might be like that. Don't assume that you're safe. You're near death, and if you don't wake up, I'm going to come and deal with it. But then he says in verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Real quick, in Sardis, the, 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 all of that gross temple stuff, to approach those pagan temples to, to engage in all kinds of immoral nonsense, you actually had to wear white linen garments. And if they weren't white, you couldn't come. So here he's using irony. You're going to walk with me. They've kept their garments white. Then he says in verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I, I will not erase his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. Now, look, I've established the template here in Galatians about walking in the Spirit and the importance of the Spirit. So just stay with me a moment. In fact, we're going to come back to Galatians 5 in this evening service and talk about life in the Spirit in Galatians 5. So having established that, I will say this. When he says, they will walk with me in white, I will say that sounds a lot like, since we're talking about the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, those who walk by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I still believe he's talking about this, this relationship with the Spirit. Then he says, and the one who, walks by this, uh, who, one who walks this way will overcome and be clothed in white. They will literally be, walk in righteousness before God, just like the person in whose life the Spirit is working and is producing right, love and joy and peace and faithfulness and goodness. And against such things, there is no law. Meaning the Holy Spirit produces righteousness in our lives. Hallelujah. And then he says, and if they'll walk this way, their names will not be erased from the book of life. Hallelujah should be the right response there. If they'll walk this way, your names will not. Say will not. That's the emphatic. I, I, there's all kinds of wonderful scholars out there that want to that run two different directions with that verse. <laughs> there are some that say, aha, if it says your name will not be, clearly that means your name might be. So watch it. Or he is, because he is, his, his eraser is ready. Now, I don't want to dis, dismiss that totally out of hand. Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't say, I will not, if they didn't, but it, we, it, that leaves us to infer a possibility that a name might be. But that's not the intent. The implication or the intent is hope. If you will walk with him, know this. He will never, and it's an absolute forceful negative in the Greek. He, you, he will never take your name out of his book. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. 
Let him who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying. What is the Spirit saying to this church? I hope that we've made it clear. I feel like the best way that we can listen to and respond to this word for us is to affirm our honor of the Holy Spirit. That we would honor him in this church with reverence and wonder. That we would have confidence in the Spirit of God. We would trust him. We would hope in him. And we would stay submitted to the Spirit of God. We would acknowledge his influence and his preference and his power in our lives. There's a gravity in many churches and denominations to treat the Holy Spirit as either an impersonal force or merely a doctrine. But there's also a reluctance or a fear to recognize him as God, very God in our midst. They want church to be safe and harmless. But we must understand that the Holy Spirit is in our midst. He is living, he is loving, and he is acting in the now. And the more we embrace him in that way, the more alive we will be. The scripture overwhelmingly directs us to give the Holy Spirit pride of place in our lives and in the, in the communities. Real quick, bop, bop, bip, bip, bop. oh, we already did that. Bip, bip. Is that Ben? He got caught up in what I'm saying and forgot to click. Click the next one. Already did that one. Bip, bop. Oh, here we go. Click all the way through that and leave it right there. Bip, bop, bop, boom. Here we go. This is what the, Holy, this is what the scriptures implore us to do. According to the, the, the New Testament, these are just, here's just six examples. We walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. We are not to grieve the Spirit. We are not to quench the Spirit, but we are to be being filled with the Spirit. See, notice his comprehensive place in our life. Once again, friends, he is all that we have, and he is more than we will ever need. Let's stand together as we close. This evening, we are going to gather specifically to honor his powerful and life-giving work in our church. We try to do that every, every single time, but we set aside a Sunday night just to recognize our grateful dependence upon him. But this morning, I wonder how many of you would just pause and ask, what kind of place does he have in your life right now? What, what kind of place, what place of honor and lordship, what life-giving presence does the Holy Spirit have in your, your life this morning? You don't need to. In fact, you won't. He is not, the, God is not, our experience of him is not dependent on the completeness of our understanding. He will always be greater than our understanding. Faith precedes that. Faith leads us to often experience what is outside of our grasp, our comprehension. So I'm not asking you how many of you can diagram and explain the person of the Spirit entirely. What I'm asking you is, have you surrendered to his influence in your life? Do you believe that he is given to us as the source, supply, the sustainer of life? Maybe right now you just do that with me. Maybe you just want to open your hands. 
can bow, you can fold your hands if you want. There's not a magic. I'm just asking you to find some sort of physical expression where you would just say, Holy Spirit, come. For me, I sometimes just place my hands together right at the bottom part of my gut right here and just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill me. Come and rule my life. I submit, I surrender to your infilling afresh, Holy Spirit. I surrender to your, in, your, 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 your influence in my life. I thank you for your empowering presence that's with me now. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are fully present and that you are working in my life and that your work is working. I ask that you fresh, fill me freshly today to be a husband and father, a follower of Jesus Christ an expression of Christ to my world. Lord, we ask that you would fall freshly upon this church in life-giving power, in holiness, righteousness and peace and in joy. Let let there be an ever-increasing manifestation of your presence, your influence in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and keep on coming. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now may His anointing rest upon you today. May you go from this house being an ever-increasing expression of Christ in your world. God bless you big.